Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It is a very big show, so let's get right at it. Later on, we'll meet Emily Paul Weary, a writer and creative writing instructor at the University of British Columbia. Her previous books include young adult novels Not Your Ordinary Wolf Girl and Strange Times at Western High and the poetry book Ghost Sick. Today, we'll talk about her latest novel, How to Be Found, a young adult book about inner-city teens who live on a razor's edge and understand that chosen family is just as important as blood. That's a little bit later on. First, let's get to know Stuart Reynolds. When we think of social media influencers and stars, images of lip-sync videos and makeup bloggers come to mind. A parade of young people who'll do anything to be noticed in today's internet attention economy. And then there's Stuart Reynolds, a.k.a. Brittle Star, a 50-something social media star who bills himself as the internet's favorite dad, although that comes with a proviso that that fact is unproven. The Toronto Sun calls him everyone's favorite comedian and social media star out of Stratford, Ontario. He's amassed a massive following. His videos have been viewed over 650 million times on all the platforms, and he's done so without licking an airplane toilet seat like viral video sensation Ava Louise or posing provocatively on an OnlyFans page. Well, he hasn't done that yet anyway. For 10 years, Brittle Star's stock and trade has been feel-good videos geared to make you laugh and to make you think. His comedic observations on the pandemic and the United States have made him a social media household name. Born and still based in Stratford, Ontario, he counts Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the Property Brothers, and hundreds of thousands of global social media users among his fans. He's been invited to the White House and does speaking engagements all over North America. Today, we'll talk about his latest project, a new book called Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse: Survival Tips for the Dumageddon. It's a collection of short comedic essays on politics, life, and more as a field guide for life. Stuart Reynolds, a.k.a. Brittle Star, joined me via Zoom from Stratford, Ontario. Congratulations on Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse Survival Tips for the Dumageddon. It's a mouthful. Thank you. It's it is a mouthful. It's <laughs> I feel pretty good about the the term though. It feels feels right. <laughs> when did you realize that we were living in a stupid apocalypse? I think, you know, uh it was I think it was it, the turning point was probably around 2016. And there's something that happened in US politics around that time that uh, <laughs> made me realize it was like, oh, this is maybe maybe this is the, I actually thought for a long time. I was like, is there a gas leak? Is there like a North American gas leak? Is that what's happening? Um, but then it seemed to be worldwide. And uh, it, it it's. You know, it, it's it went from it, because around that time we went from like ha ha ha, this is really funny, ha 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 ha, isn't politics funny, ha 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 ha. Yeah. Then it became harder to laugh, and it was like, wait a minute, what are we doing? So that's kind of around the time I realized it was like, well, there's something happening here. There's something weird happening. And it's interesting to look at the work that you have done, sort of in that period, because it's not really overtly political. You don't make no. video videos about former presidents and all no. that thing you but you are commenting i guess on the way that we're living our lives during the stupid apocalypse 
Yeah. I mean, I've never been into politics. I mean, I've always thought it was kind of boring and kind of horrible and, and greasy and slimy. And it is all those things. Uh, but then it became entertainment and that kind of, that didn't sit really well with me, but I think, um, that I get the fact that it became entertainment became the point in which I thought I have to, this, I feel like I should use my, my platform to say something about this. I wanted to kind of have all of us step back and go, wait, are we okay with this? This is this thing that's happened. Are we okay with this? Cause we shouldn't be okay with it. Uh, and that's kind of the, that's kind of been my angle. But yeah, no, I mean, I've never belonged to a political party. I never will belong to a political party. People are like, you should run for office. Never. I never want to off run for office. I don't care enough about people to run for office. I just won't do it. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just sort of more of a case of like saying, guys, 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 are we sure we want to do this? Do we want to go down this road. I'm that one person, that one person of the friend group, when you're like, should we go to the one more bar? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if we should or not. <laughs> what was the answer in the comment section, uh, in the people that you have dealt with to that question? Do we want to go down this road? I think a lot of them were like, what road? Are we going down a road? I think that was the, that was the concerning part to me. And I think a lot of people think, especially when it comes to politics specifically, um, and just general, not even just politics, but if you like expand that to like, you know, climate change and all that kind of stuff, people are like, well, it's not directly affecting me. So how can it possibly mm -hmm. be real? And that's the distressing part. And it's also really, I, I understand it. I get it. It's a hard thing to be able to uh, look at something and go, well, it's not, it's not directly affecting me, but maybe I should do something about it before it does affect me. To me, it's kind of like... Uh, it's like the, you know, it's, it's, it's North America's, it's Canada and the U.S.'s uh, policy of like, let's fight wars elsewhere. Let's not wait till they get here. That type of thing. You're listening to Stuart Reynolds, a.k.a. Brittle Star on The Richard Krause Show. His book, Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse, Survival Tips for the Dumbageddon, is available wherever you buy fine books. How do you think that this sort of new way of thinking for you uh, affected your work? Um... It made me, what's interesting is that when I started making videos, uh, I, I just initially thought, well, this is just primarily for me. Mm. And if anyone else enjoys it, that's kind of a bonus, which is, it's kind of fun if that happens. And then I, I'd ran, you know, met, met up with a, a few people and one woman in particular way back in 2013, who said to me, your videos got me through a hard time. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. They have utility. They're stupid and they're silly, but they have utility. And that was kind of a key moment for me. And then once we got to sort of me thinking about, you know, what was happening with, with, you know, politically what was happening in the States and happening a little bit here in Canada and, uh, and then coming into the pandemic, it's like, well, maybe I should be aware, more aware of that utility. And if I can entertain first and sell second, and that sell happens to be the message of being, you know, don't be a jerk. Um, I mean, that's kind of it. It's kind of, you know, I think Ed the Sox said it's it, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with virtue signaling because it's better than the opposite. It's better than, you know, you know, jerk signaling, basically. <laughs> and it seems to me that your popularity online and in traditional media and kind of everywhere else kind of skyrocketed around this time. You were very successful beforehand, mm. but it seems to me that this is where uh the 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 real turning point happened for you. I think it's so weird as well. I think the weirdest part for me is that uh, there's this notion that uh, it's worthwhile listening to me. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know exactly why people would I think, think we that. both know that's not true. Exactly. Yeah. I, think you, I think we can both speak directly to that and say that that is it, the incorrect way to look at this. 
Um, yeah, I think it's really, really weird. I think that, um, you know, if I'm going to be, if I, I'll be name droppy for a moment. Mm. Um, I uh, had asked a bunch of people for blurbs for the book. And one of the people was uh, Henry Winkler. And, and then he asked for a copy of the book and then he called me up and he's like, listen, I'm in the middle of promoting my book. I don't want to get involved in anything else, but I, I love what you did. It's really great. He gave me lots of tips and pointers. And he's like, one thing he said to me was, now the thing is, I want you to give me, I want you to give me mahogany, not paper, mahogany, not paper. <laughs> and he's like, people care about what you have to say, what you have to say. They want to know what you think about things. And I was like, do they? And he's like, absolutely. That's the reason I follow you. And I was like, oh, okay. So I guess I have, you know, one of those things where you find out you've got a, a, a skill set or an ability, mm -hmm. I guess, to sort of be like, oh, I guess I'm processing things slightly differently, or maybe just slightly objectively, or maybe I'm just dumb enough that I'm, I'm, you know, perceiving things in a manner that might be make them easier to digest. So I'm willing to use that. If I can use that to help other people, that's great. You mentioned Henry Winkler. How did Ryan Reynolds uh, get involved in the book? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was blackmail. Yeah. Black yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to, to kind of know Ryan for the past few years and, uh, he contacted me, was following and then DM'd out of the blue and offered me free gin. And anyone who does that really is in my good books. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it doesn't have to be gin, it could be anything. I'll even take the cash value. It's fine. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I had asked him, you know, if he'd be able to do something for the book and, and there was, without giving too much away, there's kind of a theme to the uh, forward, middleward, and afterward of the book. And uh, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm cool with this. This is great. This is fun." So it was it was it was just kind of a favor. And I'm just you know, like anybody else who works with him, just standing on his coattails. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a bit about the the substance of the book. So it is a collection of essays. Uh, and it's about politics. It's about life. You're calling it a field guide for life. Yeah. Uh, what can people expect? It is a collection of essays. So it's short read. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, growing up, I was a tremendous reader. And then when I started making content for social media, my social, my attention span dwindled down to nothing. Uh, and I think that's all based on the idea that I'm missing out on something. I miss It's like a total FOMO. It's like, if I don't get through this quickly, I'm going to miss the next thing. Um, so it's in, in that regard, it's, I'm, I'm all about the brevity. Um, so it's a collection of essays. It talks about life, it talks about politics, talks about marriage, talks about kids, talks about technology, talks about social media, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's one of those pick up, put down type of things where you can kind of almost, you wouldn't necessarily use it as a reference guide. Maybe you would, I don't know. I'm not here to judge you. Um, you could use it as kind of a reference to be like, how am I, how am I going to deal with this? Or what is, what are, what is this idiot's views on marriage? And uh, then you could pick up and read the essay about me comparing marriage to a five-star hotel, that type of thing. If you need a blurb from me, I'll give it to you now. I'm a ready. great toilet read. <laughs> that seems very nice. That yeah. Feel really free to sweet. have it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's really good. That's really nice. <laughs> I mean, it's accurate. Yeah. Maybe for the second printing. You can use that. Yeah. And I think I could probably have a guide in the back that says, if you've made it through more than four essays, it's time to just, you know, get a laxative. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Or call the doctor. Exactly. The newsletter that you put out every week, is that kind of a taste of what we can expect uh, from the book? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely written in the same kind of style and tone and voice. And uh, it's as much as the publisher would allow me, it's kind of formatted the same way. I like to, I was always been a fan of like how you would read like, you know, prose and poetry 
but like your E Cummings and all that kind of stuff, it's like it's formatted a certain way, and it's mm -hmm. formatted that way to make to force you to process the words at certain times and stuff like that. And I found that even just you know from writing in general that especially with comedy it's like if i want something to land or if i want the punchline to land if i want the sort of the the unexpected word to hit i've got to write it in a certain way so you don't have to i'm not relying on the reader to to make that distinction of like you know uh coming up to a word and then having it dangle and dropping the next word um so yeah it's very much that that, that voice it's very much the uh you know this is what i think but don't don't trust me you should pro i'm an idiot so you should probably find out more from professional people but uh yeah i mean it's kind of i think there's been a weird turn for me in the past like certainly since becoming a dad there's a huge turn and then there was a big turn i think when i started realizing that the stuff i was making for fun had purpose and had some use to people I sort of felt a, a little bit of like responsibility to be like, okay, well, I'm going to try to process this. I'm going to chew this up and spit this back out. And I don't want to compare myself to Oprah, but I'm just like Oprah. No, I'm not. <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's that kind of, it's that way that Oprah went from doing her show when she was like having like, you know, wrestling little people and, and uh the satanic panic shows and all that sort of thing. exactly all that kind of stuff and then she and then she started doing like really sort of feel good and lesson life lesson type shows i want to kind of do you know i feel like i've headed kind of in the same direction but hopefully way less boring no offense oprah <laughs> i think she'll be okay with that <laughs> yeah. i'm sure she's tuning in it's a great deal of work to write a book you're also uh still pumping out an incredible amount of content otherwise. Mm. And one of the things that I hear about online uh, content creators is just the amount of stress it yeah. that comes along with having to have something new all the time and the the uh, how quickly you have to make things and get them out there. Where did you find time to write the book? How did you uh, rearrange your life for that? Uh, well, the book was written in a very... Uh... It was good to have a deadline mm. and uh, that deadline, the speed that uh, the speed of which it approached increased dramatically every day last year. Yeah. Um, I had uh, planned to kind of, you know, I, I basically set up a schedule. I had planned to sort of write out this, take this long summer and kind of write stuff out and be really sort of, you know, contemplative and pensive and stuff like that. Yeah, it doesn't like, work. Oh, it doesn't work. And then we got, and then both Shannon and I, my wife got COVID and uh, that ruined us for July, literally wiped me out for July. And uh, it was like, okay, now the deadline is a month closer. <laughs> and uh, that was, that was really motivating though. My oldest son, Owen said, uh, he said, uh, you know, this, listen, don't worry about it. This is all good authors, you know, miss their deadlines, but I didn't miss my deadline. I didn't, I actually hit my deadline, which was good, but it required like, just, it became my job. And that was really weird for me to kind of be like, this takes priority over everything else but at the same time i think it was probably good for me you're listening to stuart reynolds aka brittle star on the richard kraus show his book welcome to the stupid apocalypse survival tips for the dumbageddon is available wherever you buy fine books it's done it's in uh people will read it do you think that this book uh will help bring uh a, a, upon us the end of dumageddon mm -hmm. or are we are we so firmly <laughs> entrenched in it that we're here forever i think being stupid and being dumb is the part of the essence of the human condition i think that we are it's unavoidable i think as long as we have free will and as long as we 
you know, have emotions. I think that we are absolutely hardwired to do the wrong thing as much as possible. And that's why, I mean, it's, you know, I always think like, it's really funny when I see these people that are like, like sort of real sort of libertarian views of things of like, let's just everything be free. Let's ever just let it almost like an anarchy type of situation. Um, It's like, well, no, there's a reason we have lines in the road. Like that's, that's the key. It's like, this is this, this is the, if we were smart, we wouldn't need, we'd just tell everyone, Hey, listen, drive on the right-hand side of the road. Just don't ever cross over. You'll be fine. But no, we realize we're stupid enough. We need to have lines to know where we go. And it's like uh, here in Stratford, they have the Swan Parade every uh, spring and they lead the swans down from their enclosure in a parade by a pipe band. This is a real thing. And they uh, pipe them down and march them through a crowd of people that have made this pathway for the swans and pipe band to get down to the river. And the security for that event is a yellow rope that lies on the ground in front of each side. And when it's time for the swans, everyone goes, pick up the rope. And everyone picks up the rope. And that keeps everyone back. Everyone's like, well, I can't. There's a, there's a rope there. So I think that that's, I mean, that's the, really, that's the sweetest way we can refer to the fact of how stupid we are. Is that It's like, it's just a rope. Of course, it's not going to stop us. But it does. it does. I think we need those things. We need those 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 bumper rails like you get at bowling alleys. We yeah, need we need guardrails. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you will be out promoting this. You're doing live shows. Uh, tell yeah. me about those. Yeah. So that's going to be really something different for us. So uh, I talked with the publisher and, and the publicist at the publisher um, about what to do and some ideas. And we talked about some stuff and they were like, well, you, obviously you could do like a book signing and all that kind of thing. And I was like, well, that sounds fun, but wouldn't it be better if I made money as well? And uh, so we decided we would do a show, a ticketed show and call it in conversation with brittle star moderated by his wife and so shannon my wife and i are going to go out and uh, we do about an hour basically what happens is about an hour long show um where we go through things and talk about stuff uh that's in the book and stuff that's not in the book and uh it's a bit silly and a bit fun and and it's it's like watching a man being berated by his wife um which is fun which is always fun so yeah it'll be good we're going to calgary winnipeg uh ottawa and we'll be going to other places as well um it's it's going to be interesting it'll be interesting we've never done that kind of thing before i'd like to do more of it we'll see if no one shows up maybe it's not really justifiable but hopefully they will and you can videotape them and put them online exactly the backup monetization plan exactly well congratulations thank you thank you it's exciting it is exciting. Have you? Do you have the copies yet? Do you have the no. box yet? Oh, no! I, exciting I have, day. I think it'll be a very exciting day. I'm very excited with the people we got for blurbs in the back. It's it's really fun. We've got uh, some cool people, and uh, it's it's going to be interesting because it's an American publishing company. Uh, but obviously, I'm I'm better known in Canada, so we'll see yeah. what happens. But uh, they seem to think I'm worth it, so we'll see. When the when the box of books arrives, so yeah. When you sign your deal, generally speaking, they give you 20 or 25 copies of the yeah. book. Yeah. And uh, when my first book came out, the box arrived and I just stared at it. I couldn't open it <laughs> for the longest time because I just thought, this is it. You know, I mean, my yeah. whole life I thought about having my name yes. on the line of a book. And I knew once I opened that box that that part of the dream was over. And that was, yep. that was cool. But also because of the way that my mind works, I thought, now I got to do it again. Yeah. I have I to write another one. I know. I feel that's, I'm already feeling that right away. I'm like, oh, I could do this. I could do that. And then mm. it's exciting. 
and you kind of think, oh, I just, there's also a part of me, even though I'm, I've always been self-employed, there's a part of me, it's like, I just want that to be my job now. I just want to do yeah. that. And it's like, I might not get that luxury. I might have to make videos and do this and sell yeah. vodka, whatever, whatever works. That was Stuart Reynolds, AKA Brittle Star on the Richard Krause Show. His book, Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse: Survival Tips for the Dumageddon is available now wherever you buy fine books. My guest in this segment is Emily Paul Weary, a writer and creative writing instructor at the University of British Columbia. Her previous books include young adult novels, Not Your Ordinary Wolf Girl and Strange Times at Western High, and the poetry book Ghost Sick. Today, we'll talk about her latest novel, How to Be Found, a young adult novel that best-selling author Lawrence Hill called a wonderfully entertaining novel that teems with the exuberant vitality of two teen girls who, despite obstacles that are sometimes serious and at other times hilarious, insist on defining themselves. Emily Paul Weary joined me via Zoom from Vancouver. You say that when you were a kid, you pretended to be sick so that you could stay home and read. Uh, why was reading so important to you? I grew up in Parkdale, downtown Toronto, and it was a pretty bleak neighborhood at the time. I was bussed out of the neighborhood to a French immersion school in a wealthier neighborhood and found the dynamics in the classroom intimidating and a little confusing. So I ended up reading to escape, I think, what felt like an odd fit for me. Reading became this way of, of surviving, of being um, okay with myself and my world. And also, I had this one of those imaginations that could um, easily put myself into those worlds that I was reading about and even make up stories about them. So did you ever consider at that time that you might one day become a writer or was it just a means of escape for you? Writing and reading was probably the thing I returned to most throughout my life. I never thought, although my grandparents were both science fiction writers and I grew up in a very literary family, um, you know, everyone was reading all the time. I didn't think that writing was an option for me uh, per se, but it became a process of elimination. I tried a whole bunch of other things and none of them stuck. I got bored or felt like something was a little off with my life and my brain and always ended up returning to books and stories and thinking that eventually, um, you know, that would be my means of escape, but it could possibly one day when I was about 24, I decided that maybe it could also be a career. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it was by watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and then putting together an anthology of writers and artists who also loved Buffy and who loved, you know, women superheroes, which became Girls Who Bite Back. That's when it clicked in for me that I could possibly do this as a living and enjoy it for a very long time. And to this day, there's nothing that 
makes me happier than getting into the vibe, getting into the story and letting everything else fall away. Well, and you've been passing that along to other people you uh, teach. You started a group in Parkdale for young, I think, at-risk youth uh, to sort of channel uh, your love of writing to them to see if it could do probably uh, have the same kind of change in their life or make the same sort of change in their life that it made in yours. Yes. At the time when I started the writing group in Parkdale, my brother, my my baby brother, who's 14 years younger, was going through a really difficult time. And his best friend had been killed, had been shot. <laughs> and I thought, what about the other teens who are were like me, not fitting into what seemed like a pretty dangerous environment and stressful environment and maybe they could benefit from just having a couple hours a week where they got together with other creative youth and me and mentors that I brought in who could show them that there are people out there like them people that I never met in high school but then later on went on to meet after I got out of high school and could choose my friends a little more. You're listening to Emily Paul Weary on The Richard Krause Show. Her book, How to Be Found, is available wherever you buy fine books. So the writing group was an exercise or a, an experiment, really, to see whether there were young people out there who wanted something like that. And it ended up running 10 months of the year for six years. And... It just kind of grew and grew and grew. We we created a filmmaking workshop, a hip hop workshop, a video game creation workshop, and decided, you know, this there's something to this. There's something about writing in a community of your peers, people who understand your life, what you've been through, uh, but who aren't going to to judge you for the stories you're telling. So that kind of catharsis. Um, of being able to actually speak up and tell your truth and not be questioned seemed to have a lot of value for the young people in Toronto that I was working with. Um, and now I teach at UBC. I'm a professor. I teach creative writing. In fact, I teach writing for young adults and writing speculative fiction. So this novel is a bit of a a different thing for me. I'd never written a purely mimetic or, you know, realism. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because your other books uh, have uh, werewolves in them. Uh, there's uh, girl pirates, there's superheroes, there's all that sort of thing. Uh, this one feels a little bit more uh, earthbound. And, you know, even to the point where uh, there are two single activist mother who is and mothers in uh, the story, uh, which are kind of like your mother and her best friend. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, it feels like this one uh, has a, a, a bit more of a grip on reality than your other books. Yeah, I would say a bit more. Somebody recently called it horror. And I thought about that. It does lean heavily on mystery tropes. I was obsessed with Nancy Drew and thought I was a girl detective in Parkdale. 
<laughs> exploring abandoned buildings and saying, you know, following footprints and reading people's handwriting. So I wanted my character to have that kind of curiosity and sense that she could go off on her own without permission and do whatever she needed to do at any time. She wasn't questioning, she isn't questioning herself. She she takes um, res responsibility, uh, I think, during the course of the novel for the things that were her doing. And she um, she does, like I did, escape into stories, escape into her head. Um, but I felt that it was important to represent what my actual teen years were like for the first time in a book for teens. I'd been writing these sassy girl heroes, you know, werewolves and um, ghosts would appear. And originally when I started this novel, the main character Mishi had a friend who was a unicorn <laughs> and a grumpy goblin. They lived in her backyard. And over the course of it, I, I ended up, over the course of, writing it and editing it I ended up getting rid of those um overtly magical elements but to me genre fiction is still genre fiction there it weighs it sort of leans heavily on these tropes and so I created a, a bit of a faux mystery and I think it does have a lot of elements of genre fiction in it you're listening to Emily Paul Weary on the Richmond Krause show her book how to be found is available wherever you buy fine books it is as author Lawrence Hill said a wonderfully entertaining novel that teems with the exuberant vitality of two teen girls I wanted to show girls like that who are resilient and can continue to live fully uh, in a self-determined way. And why do you think you made the change to push away from the more fantastical elements of your other books? I think the experiences working with youth in Parkdale and seeing what my brother went through and his friends um, touched something in my heart, like I wanted to actually tell the story of a girl who was surviving. And I think a lot of times in YA, you see the worst case scenario, you see the girl who's made an example of because she's gone too far, made the wrong call, you know, um, or you see a girl who lives primarily to, um, to get the boy. And I really wanted to avoid that because when I think back to the girls I was friends with and the women I know now, most of them had experienced violence, had experienced truly difficult things, but were, you know, thriving, continuing to thriving is such a a funny word that's been um, co-opted by the like wellness uh, community, but they they kept going you know most girls who grow up in the kind of environment that Michi and Trissa grew up in um do experience these devastating things as part of daily life violence um aggression poverty um illness in Michi's case 
and I wanted to show girls like that who are resilient and can continue to live fully uh, in a self-determined way without allowing those things to so deeply sink into their their core of who they are that it um that it breaks them interesting that the bond between them uh i think it was armistad mopin who said you find your logical family not necessarily your biological family and that seems to be the the case with these two they've found uh one another and they have a, a bond that is just as thick uh through friendship as it might have been uh if they were actually related to one another and that's a, an interesting uh twist to all of this i think yes i had another motive there which was to explore the closeness of friendship between girls, teen girls, and children, there is, to my mind, a closeness at that age with your friends that you may not have with, say, the person you're dating, the boy, the, you know, the girl. Um, it, it transcends that because it doesn't end when you break up. And another trope you see a lot in YA is I have found my forever mate, you know, he's a 463 year old vampire and we're fated to be together. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, it's true love. And I think, honestly, at that age, you have no idea who you are, what you like, what you're interested in, and you're trying things on, you're trying uh, relationships on, you're you're experiencing things for the first time and you make mistakes. You're listening to Emily Paul Weary on The Richard Krause Show. Her book, How to Be Found, is available wherever you buy fine books. So those friendships don't end when the dating ends. They, you know, your your girlfriends end up knowing way more about you and who you truly are than the boy you're dating. <laughs> I wanted to explore that closeness that happens when you're deeply bonded. And in the case of Mishi and Trissa, they grew up almost like sisters in this big old house in Parkdale. Um, and I myself grew up, you know, my mother owned a house with her best friend and, and her daughter was my age. And I still consider her family in a way that biological family that I see once a year or every other year aren't you know she she knows me in a different sort of way she's been there she's seen the good and the bad and I don't think there are enough stories about that deep kind of friendship and why uh choose why a young adult fiction as uh your uh, milieu you uh I get a sense that you have these stories within you that you want to tell and, and you're drawing from experience. Um, but why, uh, why choose young adults specifically? My teen years were horrible. And I feel like every year since then gotten a little better. I would never go back to that time, but I think it is a time of discovery, a time of making mistakes, a time where, Every single thing has these high stakes. Mm. Um, and there's there's a kind of urgency to the stories and to the lives of teens. They could easily make 
a terrible mistake and end up regretting it for the rest of their lives. Um, or in the case of Mishi and Trissa and the serial killer who's active in the area die. But most girls survive and most girls get through it. And there's a a really interesting thing that that isn't explored enough in our stories, especially our stories for teens, which is that you can experience horrible things and continue to be living a decent life, right? And then uh, looking around at all the other women around me or women identifying people, I I see that they share this kind of trauma underneath everything. So I wanted to like give teens a character who who understood that at a fundamental level because she has feminist mom and grows up the way she does she's able to see these things and understand what they are when they're happening but also still be that kind of teenager who's just responding and doing and and acting without really thinking too much about the outcome of her actions well, Emily, thank you very much for uh, taking some time to talk about your book with me today. Well, thanks, Richard. That was lovely. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Emily Paul Weary on The Richard Krauss Show. Her book, How to Be Found, is available wherever you buy fine books. If you have young people in your life, or maybe if you just have people who are young at heart in your life and you're looking to buy them a book as a gift, How to Be Found would be a great suggestion. It's got great characters. It's, sometimes it's a little bit serious. Other times it's very funny. Uh, it's an all-round great read, uh, perfect for this time of year. Something uh, to think about the next time you're at the bookstore or wherever it is that you buy fine books. So a big thanks to Emily for coming by. Also, a big thanks to Stuart Reynolds, a.k.a. Brittle Star, for coming by to talk about his book, Welcome to the Stupid Apocalypse Survival Tips for the Dumbageddon. It's a collection of short comedic essays on politics and life and everything else, kind of a field guide for life, and it's available wherever you buy fine books. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krauss. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>